Yeah, we went in order, sure. We stopped yeah, so, just before the interesting wars. So yeah, that's why I that's why I decided to talk about these games in chronological order of the time period of the said games. I might to pretend that you had a plan that way. Uh-huh. It was deliberate. All right, well, again, I don't do any planning, so that's something, I guess. It'd probably be a better show if I did plan, but I don't want to. Yeah, very rarely I would plan an order for a theme of an episode. Really? Because you've done that for the last two. The FMVs? Yes. <laughs> Every so often I get uh, emails from people I've never met before. Um, where they're like, hey, I heard your podcast. Is this this schmuck, Paul from Verbal. Hey, we found your podcast on directory and built your verbal station. You know, it's worse and claim it. Yeah, I think it's great. And I was like, okay, fucker. First of all, I don't know who you are. I don't know what verbal is. And I damn sight know you never listened to this thing. Because if you did listen to it, you would not be saying it was great. You call bullshit on that. Is that a spam? No, it's a real dude. But I think it's one of those services like I have to pay him to get more recognition, which I'm, again, not going to do. It ain't sponsorship. It would be, but who the fuck is going to sponsor me? I call this thing the Internet's Worst, not originally because I wanted to cover bad things on the Internet, but it evolved into poor quality because I'm an amateur who's fumbling through this. Is audacity it amateur thing. or amateur? I've been hearing that word amateur a lot. It is amateur, but I say amateur wrong on purpose. I do. I, I mispronounce words on purpose because I think it's funny. No one else thinks it's funny, but I think it's funny. Anyways. This is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast, and I'm your host, Loki Jarson, with a new microphone that hopefully doesn't pick out background noise. Uh, with me again is my in-real-life brother, Lord Masta from YouTube, also known as Thomas. Hello. Greetings. Uh, how have you been? Uh, all right, for the most part, except from last Friday, uh, where I just had three hours of hiccups. Uh, water didn't work, scaring didn't work. Typically, when I get hiccups, they're like 24 hours, so that sounds real bad for you. Yeah, and I found out other ways to get rid of hiccups, even though I doubt you want to even mention that here. Because I learned it from the source of menshealth.com. Well, this is, of course, the Internet's worst medical podcast, so why not? Wear eight masks. That'll protect you. Uh, instead of all that bullshit, we're going to talk about video games. What do you have first on the docket? Well, first things first... Um, you know how over the years, ever since we were kids, that we used to play Oregon Trail, even though I still play it to this day? Okay, hold on a second. I never, ever played one minute of this game. I played a little bit of Yukon Trail and got bored to death. And I watched you and our other brother, Nick, who was on very old episodes of this show, play. And that's where I got my entertainment of you two fucking up royally going through Oregon and Yukon. I never played them. They're boring as hell. Uh not even Amazon Trail or the 
very lesser known Africa Trail. Here's the thing about here's the thing about educational games. They're not fun. They're trying to teach you something. You make your own fun, and I've seen your Oregon Trail stuff, so I know you make your own fun. Yeah, uh, to the point where it, some of that became a life of its own. Hmm. But, but anyways, uh, this is not a trail game in a sense, but it's still in the spirit of it. You know what I mean? Sure. You go to a place and encounter things along the way. Yes, um, and that game is something that I've dreamt about since old early 2020 um, last year when I was into that topic regarding the Silk Road and all. And this game I've discovered by the end of that year into January. And that game I played was Silk Road's Caravan Kings. Nothing to do with Crusader Kings. Mm-hmm. The Silk Road is what exactly? I know it's somewhere from China to India. Yeah, it starts from China and and goes westward in many different routes through India, through the Iranian Plateau to the Middle East and to Italy and all that. So I'm going to assume this is not a modern day game. Uh, no. Uh, but it's set in the um, 1270s as it starts. Um... So this was around the time when uh, Marco Polo was around, when he traveled from Silk Road from Venice to China. You know what that guy was like, right? Sure. So, so in that game, you basically follow the footsteps of Marco Polo just to get from point A to point B, much like the trail games. I mean, the guy who uh, developed that game uh, says that that it's kind of like the Oregon Trail, except more forgiving. With well, in Oregon Trail, there's a lot of ways to die. <laughs> yeah, and the only way to basically... Well, actually, maybe two ways to die in so Roads. I mean, I never did it because you know how careful I am. And you're going to have to be. It's either run out of food or very poor health. Especially more so if you travel in the winter. So, so are you going... I mean, just this game. So, are you going to China to sell things, or are you going to China to buy things to then sell? Well, at the start of the new game, they give you a contract, as it says, the bearer of this note for it. It's it varies on the amount. Like the bearer of this note to this contract here. That's what I was given in my latest playthrough. Owed thirteen silk, or the equivalent value at the time of delivery, which is not to exceed in the month of April in the year of our Lord twelve. 76 you start off in 1273 so it's like if you want to get there fast and come it, it's one thing like from the trail games you start from point a point b this time it's from you start from venice and make your way over there and then come back with those wares and bring it back to venice in the time frame because that's what you're contracted to do yes and if you did not meet the requirements of said contract, although you can still, I mean, it's not the end of the game. I mean, you're still going to get back to it eventually. It's just you're not going to get the bonus of the said contract. I, I can't recall if we've actually talked about this on the show before, but I know we've talked about it. Maybe off air? I don't remember. Yeah, it may have been. Um, one of the criticisms that you've told me about this game is that it can get very repetitive. Like once you've played it, through once you can't really play through it again because just the same stuff happens over and over talking about the replayability yes um yeah slightly but uh, i mean but at least they've updated the game since then which is to either lower the frequency even 
most importantly, you can adjust the game speed because, you know, traveling thousands of miles can be quite a quite a trek. Slow, slow and boring, yes. Yes, so you can adjust the game speed just to, you know, make it go faster even though events pop up would come up faster. And time stops so you can be like, oh no, rocks are in the trail, what do I do? Yes, there's many random events. Um, and by the way, um, at the start, it's like, yes, you set off from Venice by boat in which and you get to set the destination of, okay, where's your starting point? You either go to, um, you know, stay true to the purpose of this game, and that is to make your stop at Acker in the Holy Land, the gateway to the Far East, to head to, you know, the Far East before you get to the crossroads to either travel into India and then eventually North China, or just go take the long way around as Marco Polo did to eventually get through China through the Western desert route. Mm. Um, and like Marco Polo, when you come back, you lose half your shit. Or sell it if you are desperate for cash. And uh, the other starting point is from Constantinople and go across the northern uh, steppes, the, the northern silk route through the steppes, which there isn't a lot of towns there, so, so getting from like one place to another is going to take a lot longer and and it's guaranteed to dwindle your supplies and health hmm. unless you have prior experience in a playthrough and I've mentioned about money besides buying silk when you get to um, China which silk is cheaper over there if you buy it from other places it gets expensive okay because um, they have to go further to ship it to import it yes um, like if you're gonna buy some ivory, um, it's cheaper in the Middle East. If you're gonna buy furs, it's a lot cheaper up in the steppes, and and spices are cheaper in India because you know that's where all these uh, trade goods come from. Mm. And also, not to mention, you could buy supplies, you know, food, just to maintain yourself on your travels. Is it just you? Like, you're just one dude hauling a, several cartfuls of silk all the way up? Yeah, it's just you, and uh, and you can't travel without a camel. Although, you can increase the camel limit. And there's skills in this game. It's not a party of five, it's just you, the character, and a bunch of faceless um, guys in a caravan. Um, that's Slaves? No, just traveling partners. Alright. Just, you know, not in your party, like in Oregon Trail sense. Yeah. And and there are plenty of events to increase the said relations. Like, if you have a higher opinion, like, say, there's five different kinds of groups, um, even though they call it religious relations anyhow. Like Christian opinion, uh, Islam, Confucian, Hindu, and Tengri uh, opinions. The higher the opinion, like, when you get to a town that is populated of those kind of people um, that if you choose to spend a month to work that's how you make your profit it's basically like here's the free cash just work for a month you don't have to do mm -hmm. other activities it's just you simply click on a button you got your gold if if you have a higher opinion of whichever religion depending on the area you in you make a lot more money if it's lower you won't make as much mm -hmm. so this game is light on action so we say yeah, and also um, every random event you come across has 
has its positive or negative um, outcomes and sometimes increases your skills as we mentioned the skills before like you, you can only travel with one camel right mm -hmm. you got to one of the skills you can increase is intelligence which is to increase your camel limit you can travel with two three even up to four camels obviously smarter people have more camels of course yes uh, to haul your wares and your supplies and speaking of supplies, you can also increase the endurance skill, which is increases the time your supplies last. So you don't have to basically eat up as much. You just got to be smart with them. Make it last. This sounds, this sounds a lot like a lot less like Oregon Trail and a lot more like one of those many survival video games I despise. Huh. It's like managing resources on a time limit and at a distance. It's like I need to get to all the hell way over there. And I need to carry all this crap, and I need to also eat and sleep and drink. Yeah, and resting is important for your health, too. And, of course it is. And sometimes the morale, and, and and the morale tends to vary on at events, unless you've been out on the road for too long. Oh. And there's two more skills. Another one's agility, which you increase your walking speed. So so longer travels don't make it make it easier. And finally, strength skill, which increases the weight you can carry. Um, where, yes, you can carry more stuff other than just your four, uh, one to four camels that you can get. Yeah, so this is totally a survival game. Uh, you're like, you just sell stuff instead of, you know, kill zombies or whatever the hell. Well, there's four other equipments that they also have in the game that can also help you along the way. Um, you can have a, a bow, uh, which is often used for hunting. Um, it's... And rare occasions uh, fight off against bandits, um, which uh, tends to be very dangerous for your health. Not necessarily to the kill your point, just lowers it. What, what is the interface for this game? I can't imagine it's a graphical tour de force. Um, no, it's just a map, and, uh, and the icon of you are here is you and the camel. That's the picture. So it's all text. Uh, for the random events, uh, yes. Well, considering it's an independent game one guy made, I don't know. Yeah, I it's, guess it's been fine. out since October 2020. Um, and the other equipment include a fishing rod, another way of getting food for supplies. Um, also a loot, an instrument, you know that thing? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's just to keep the morale up. Um, and finally, uh, a cat. You know, vermin. You know, to keep them away from... You know, stealing your supplies by rats or whatever. Which, considering you're constantly moving, doesn't seem like a big deal. But okay. Yeah, they'll still figure it out. <laughs> so, again, it's it's a long travel, and and it's recommended to rest in some settlement during the winter because if you travel in the winter, your health would decrease a lot faster. I'm going to ask a very important question now. Please think before you answer. Is this fun? Uh. I don't know. I, um, it, it depends, but maybe if you want to be uh, the kind of, I mean, a fun experience would probably have to be whatever little silly events that comes up with it, where it's like, hey, I want to be friends with uh, a Tengri more than a Hindu because in the relevance of the area that I'm traveling, where there was a point in my first playthrough where I just stayed true to the path. I never gone to India to buy spices because that's not the point. Because I'm here for silk and silk only. So, so I just keep going on. Increasing Confucian opinion and forget about the Hindu because I ain't going over there. 
and I could care less about the Christian opinion because there's hardly anybody over there. I even alienate my own kind where I come from in Venice. Yeah, they don't really want silk in Venice. They want spice, I'd imagine. Italian food. Yeah, so, yeah, that's basically it about the game. And, of course, once you um, return to Venice, um, you know, you get your final score and whatnot, then you get an epilogue of what your character um, does. Uh, you know, it's the where are they now epilogue, like in movies and TV. Sure. Retires rich on silk. Yes, um, or live in a shitty shack. That's what I got in one ending because I did not reach the allotted time of the contract. Um, but but they allowed you to either retire or go out on the uh, trail again. But this time, your skills that and the other stuff that you have will be saved over. So it's not New Game Plus. No. So what's the point of doing it again? I don't know, go to Constantinople and the steps after going through the China route. So it's like, yeah, let's take the long route, except you will, you have much more skills and you can handle much more food and it'll be a lot easier. Okay. Uh, you said this game was updated to add more content, I hope? Um, based on what I've experienced, I think they just added very low. Just only the game speed, which was the most requested thing from people. <laughs> How long does a full playthrough take? In my original, it was about two hours. Well, that's not a game I would play, but if you enjoyed it, making content for your channel on YouTube, hey, it's Oregon Trail, but in the Mideast. That's well, not really, in the Far East. Yeah. Yeah, the, I always dreamt of a Oregon Trail-like game that takes place in the Silk Road, and apparently it exists. Yeah, you just don't get to hunt any, shoot any buffalo or whatever the fuck they could over to water buffalo. They got water buffalo there, the same thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Wildebeest? No, wildebeest from Africa. Uh, they're all the same damn animal. Yeah, they're antelope. There's India, there's plenty of cows. Just stop by India, kill all their cows, and tell them to suck it. Uh, what do you got next? Well, yeah, we went from the Silk Road and back again into Venice, so we're back in Europe. Okay, so we're back in Europe. Um, it's uh, another Paradox Interactive game, you know, made in Europe. And uh, it's like we talked many times ad nauseum about Crusader Kings <laughs> and to a lesser extent in Paratal Rome. Um, this one is considered as the flagship game of Paradox Interactive. It is Europa Universalis 4. I think Crusader Kings just by volume is more popular. Um, but because I've seen more things for I never see things for EU, you know what I mean? Except for uh, memes, but it's popular in the sense of recorded playthroughs. Yeah, but EU is like the hardcore is hardcore game. In terms of the word that you often used, minutia. Yes, there's a lot more tiny shit to worry about. So, yes, um... Europa Universalis 4. You know what that means in Latin? I'm going to guess Universal Europe. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I assume. I don't know anything about the first three installments, but this one, the fourth one, came out in 2013. August 2013. They've not made a five yet? No, nor did they ever talk or any rumors or even any plans of Europa Universalis 5. And yet many people still ask for Victoria 3, and that's become a meme at this point. Another one of their games? Yes. Jeez. 
So you've made videos of this before and you're, you had a new playthrough or what? I've considered about doing a playthrough, but I'm just not fully committed. Not just only because of the current Crusader Kings playthroughs and whatnot. It's just the complexity of the game and the constant updating. Which it's like, man, I gotta find a... You know, although I could just turn offline on Steam so it doesn't update again if I really am committed to a full playthrough. So, so Europa vs. Alice 4, as far as the setting is concerned, um, it starts from the late Middle Ages, from 1444 AD through the early modern period of 1821 AD. That's the end date. And, uh... And of course, it's more about conducting trade, administration, diplomacy, colonization, and warfare. So it's it's uh, Crusader Kings without all the silliness. Yeah, it's without all the silliness. It's just faceless characters, except for tiny little portraits of advisors, which is a separate thing. Nothing to worry about. It's just helps of your nation. And uh, so, is the goal like Crusader? I'm just going to keep comparing it to because it's the only one I know. know. Is the goal like Crusader Kings to take over all of Europe and or the world? Uh, world conquest is a possibility, which is would be a, a long haul if you really want to do it. But every, almost like I would say 90, 80 to 90 percent of the countries that you play around the world has its own set of missions that you could do to get all the nice little bonuses. Or if you feel like you want to do a playthrough to follow these missions as the goal. And uh, as I mentioned about countries around the world, it's not just in Europe, Africa, and parts of Asia like in the other games, but we mean all the world. And you can play as any country regardless of government. Uh, Antarctica. <laughs> that one's unexplored, um, but, uh, but he can't. Australia then. You can actually colonize Australia. All right. Take over the world from Australia. It's like Risk then. This is basically Risk. I think this is the closest thing to Risk. Compared to the other titles. Except Risk is, you know, there's no resource management. It's just war, war battles all day long. Roll three dice or roll two dice, I win. So, basically you set your own goals. You could conquer the world by military might or become a colonial superpower, establish trade dominance, etc. as one of the over 500 different nations. So it's like uh, one of the older strategy games, like Civilization, wherever you advance the furthest in time... So you're so far ahead that you automatically win? Uh, if you live in Europe, North Africa, Asia, even, even Japan, yes. But if you're one of the lower developed countries like um, South, uh, Southern Africa, um, the South American, North American native nations, yeah, that one you're going to have a slightly hard time. I can imagine. And, and of course, just like with every other game, it has its own major religions, such as, you know, the various Christian faiths of Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, and over in Islam, Sunni and Shia, and many other single uh, faiths, such as um, the Shinto for the Japanese, or Confucian for the Chinese, Hindu, Indian, so on and so forth, including the religion of the Native Americans, which is um, totemism, um, the totems. Uh, I'd rather not dive into that, but right now, but okay. Yeah, but yeah, but, <laughs> but it's not as important as it is in Crusader King. It's just okay, more okay. of for loyalty reasons and little bonuses that it gives you more than anything else. 
So this isn't like dynastic where you play a guy and play his heir. You just play as a country. Uh, it actually is to a degree dynastic if you're playing as a monarchy. It still is. Um, if because you, you you know there's the monarch and you got to have a, a legal heir, and it depends on the set of skills and if which again they're just faceless and not as controllable in the characterization like the other titles. With, with, uh, this, with, okay. Which the skills um, range from administrative, diplomacy, and military skills. Um, and for a character, it ranges from 0 to 6. 6 is the maximum. Um, so a game that's been out this long, I'd imagine, has a lot of DLC. Based on Crusader Kings also having a lot of DLC stuff. Yes. Way more DLC. Um, you own all of it? Yes. Yipe. Um, and, um, so... Yeah, and they're very pricey too, so it's best to get the DLCs when there's a deal off. Because well, that's they true are of everything. because they are notoriously pricey. Well, this company doesn't seem like it makes a lot of different kinds of things and it does a very limited release, so you justify it that way, I guess, but that's me. Yeah. So, well, just like with all the other games, it's a sandbox environment and no strict rule on winning the game. And the, and the game of the player is only over if the nation is removed or annexed from the map. It's the only way you lose. But I don't know about the dynastic part where it's like, what happens if you've got no heir and your dynasty dies out? I assume they just... It's like, well, the country's taken over by this new dynasty and you play as that one, even though it makes little difference. It just lowers and stability. That, it seems like not a thing worth experimenting on, considering how long it takes to get there. Yeah. And and sometimes you don't have to play as a monarchy, which again you could play any country around the world. You could even play as a, a republic. My, one of my more recent playthroughs was a plutocratic republic, merchant republic, so to speak, uh, where that one is less of a worry in terms of management. Where you could say, well, what happens if your monarch dies? Um, by any means, one of the penalties is it lowers the country's stability. You know, can cause negative problems, especially potential revolts. Whereas in republics, um, they have an elect, uh, elections on four-year terms, which is true to most republics today. Um, unless you do government reforms where you change the frequency of elections to keep it true with the four, or extend it, or make it shorter. <laughs> or I've seen in one other country where we do lottery elections, so it'll be randomly selected. That seems like a better system than we've got right now, frankly. <laughs> Um, or just be absolute, and which would begin a, you know, down the line late game, particularly where they give you a last form of a government reform. Where, let's say, if you are a monarchy, you could change it to a republic or a theocracy or a absolute monarchy with no such thing as parliamentary or constitutional. So there are no penalties for just doing it. Uh, has its own negatives and positives, mostly positives. That depends on your playstyle, how you want it. Um, and if you are playing as the United States of America, either by starting the game late as them or form it yourself, there is such thing as a country-specific republic, like American Republic or a Venetian government, like Republic of Venice, as we mentioned before. Well, America, despite what people on television will tell you, is in fact a federal republic and not a democracy. We do not directly elect our leaders. Um, actually, um, that's a separate government reform in the game. Federal republic and 
American government are two separate things. They're not, though. Yeah. There is one other country in the game that can be formed as a federal republic, and that is the Netherlands, uh, which they were the first ones to come up with that in its history of the world. Hmm. And they had a two-party no, system no other, back then. No other country gets that option? Um, any country can, actually. Okay. As I said, a, a monarchy can turn to a republic, and a republic can turn oh, into... Oh, but th those two only the ones that start with it? Yes. Okay. You can change that if you wish to... Um, so yes, it's entirely possible that a Islamic Sultanate can become a republic. In a video game, absolutely. Um, and yes, you can play as a theocracy, most notably the Papal States. Um, and and we mentioned about every country has its own missions. Um, many countries are unique to them, especially the Papal States, that one stand out to be the most. Where I've seen a dev clash, which is a series of videos I've seen where developers play against each other one another in multiplayer, right? Mm -hmm. One of the guys often play as a papal states and they would have a later national decisions later down the line where a pope doesn't have to sit back and run a country. He can lead an army too. And there's a fan nickname, the battle pope. Yeah, a pope general. And, and if the papal states can unite all of Italy and control Jerusalem... They can, um, I don't know if they change the name of the country, I think they'll still call it Papal States, but they would make a national decision, national decision, calling it the Kingdom of God. Wait a minute, isn't this just the Crusades again? <laughs> yes, Crusades are still a thing if you're a Catholic, and a loyal Catholic at that. Because, you know, if you stay true to being Catholic and not give in to Protestant Reformation or the Reformed Church, that comes up a hundred years after the S earliest start date. So if you play as a Muslim, the uh, Catholics will invade you? Um, if you live in Egypt or in the Middle East, um, or if you're the Ottoman Empire, yes. But, um, Interesting to feel that from the other side. Yeah, but unless you are one of those Indian sultanates where you don't have to worry about that stuff. <laughs> where it's just, it's like, hey, we don't have to take orders from whoever's the caliphate over there. We got our own destiny. It's too damn hot here, and no one wants to come here. We live here. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, I know. And as we said, it's like, yes, uh, everybody, almost every country is unique on its own. They got their own set of national ideas. Um, as I said, 80, 90% of countries in the world have their own national ideas, um, including all of the little German city-states and the Japanese um, daimyos. They got their own set of ideas. Now, you were telling me off-air that the latest DLC, there were some update problems or interface issues. What was it? Uh-huh. The DLC that we mentioned, which is the 14th DLC for EU4. That's how many DLCs they made, 14. Well, it's, it's been out a long time. Yeah, and the most recent one is uh, Leviathan, which uh, came out last month. And it's patched alongside with it. Um, which, before we get to the set problems, you see, we'll talk about what did they add. I mean, we're just going to speed most of it through. Sure, sure. So, the expansion features that they've added in this ever-updating game. And, by the way, they got their own separate studio now, which is called Paradox Interactive Tinto. Where the hell's Tinto? No idea what that is, but that's the name of their separate studio that's now dedicated to this game. As they have many other projects to work on. This DLC 
Um, added features such as ask for favors, which you curry favors of other nations to use them to advance diplomatic goals. Another so, thing taken directly from Crusader Kings. Yeah, to the point where it's like, yeah, um, it's like you want to go to war against another country, but but your ally won't join for whatever reason, unless they unless you're gonna promise them. It's like, okay, you will get territorial gains as well. And if you don't want them to get territorial gains, since this is your war, and yet you still want your ally to join, well, curry them favors. So the more favors, then the more they'll accept you. For whatever reason. Another feature is new Regency options, where Regency councils represent the interests of the most powerful estate, and can be extended to delay the accession of an unfit monarch. Um, so, uh, yeah, the estates feature, let me talk about it real quick. Um, <coughs> that almost every country uh, around the world has its estates. Like, it's not just you, you know, the owner of the crown lands. Um, you also got to appeal to the estates, such as the nobles, the burghers, the clergy, and whoever else. Depending on what country and what area you're in. Like, say, mm -hmm. if you're playing as the Russians, you've got to not only appeal to nobles, the burghers and clergy, but also the Cossacks. You know, one of those warrior-type peoples. Sure, your country's not homogenous. There's lots of mini-factions. Yes, the little mini-factions. And if you're playing as an, um, an Islamic sultanate in India, which has its own um, Indian sultanate government, as we mentioned a little bit, where it's not just nobles, burghers, clergy, but also the Brahmins and the Jains and the uh, Rajputs, if you live in the northern area. If you play as the U.S., you have to please no one. Just only the burghers, if you wish to form a American uh, democracy government form. So it's just them and the Crownlands. That's it. Hmm. Crownlands as in you. So yeah, almost every country's got one. And I played as a Merchant Republic, which was the latest, which has no estates. Instead, it has factions, which is the aristocrats, the guilds, the, the, and the traders. Those are the three factions that you got to appeal to, or whoever's still running here. Mm -hmm. So it's much more manageable than how a monarch would. Yes. Uh, also in the features in that DLC is specialized colonial nations, which let your colonies focus on military help, trade power, or self-government. So, of which again, I only played as one country that did a colonial stuff, and that was Holland. You know, we, yes, we did go to America and formed New Amsterdam there. So now I can tell, you know, a colony to, it's like if you're in war, you can send help or give it more trade power, more money and tariffs from there or mm. or more autonomy i guess that's what self-government means don't know anything too much about that another one is concentrate development which you can now steal development from your vassals or territorial possessions to enhance the power of your capital city or capital province you can also pillage capital which is loot in enemy capital as a condition of peace hauling development back to the capital metropolis condition of peace Yes, there's many, many conditions of peace that you can do um, when the war is over and until you beat your opponent enough or the war scores high enough. So it's all right, we got what we wanted, so let's talk peace. Like, here's what I want and all that. And now pillage them is a condition. Huh. Or it's like, we're going to sack your city. You signed it, it right this, here. This DLC added a lot of ways for you to be a dick, it seems like. Yeah, more glory to you and, and, and humiliate the rival of yours. 
-hmm. And there is a separate caster spell I called Humiliate Rival, where you don't take land, you just humiliate them for prestige gain and power projection. <laughs> or if you wish to, um, add war reparations, where 10% of their income goes to you. Um, or transfer trade power, which is what I did when I was a Merchant Republic. I often do is transfer trade power to increase my trade power to get more trade income. You know, want another playthrough where you could be a trade empire instead of a colonial empire. Okay. And another feature is centralized state, which is to reduce the cost of government by spending unused reform points. We've talked about government reforms earlier, so now it's centralization. If you are going to, like, if you are reform something and you got all this unused stuff, well, centralize it. And we mentioned the, um, the Native Americans a bit. Now they've added more features regarding um, totemism, where nations that follow the totemist religion can revere a pantheon of past leaders, earning bonuses that reflect the skills they had in life. You know what's, what's on a slight tangent here? I know I realize I'm extending this thing I've making you've been delaying. But playing as a Native American in a world-conquering game is very similar to in Crusader King, where you can play as... A passive faith like a Buddhist and still conquer the world it seems very what I know there's a fancy word for very opposite to the whole ideal like I don't think what can you do as a Native Americans in that game really you're really gonna go conquer the world as as the Iroquois or whatever uh, yeah I think it's entirely possible I mean I've seen in a dev uh, clash where a guy who plays as the Aztecs which they had to do the mission where it's like, okay, we got to unite all these nations within uh, Mexico um, to be strong enough to keep the, potentially, most likely, the Spanish at bay. And, and then you reform the, uh, the Aztec faith there and to be, you know, at their level of technology and whatnot. And what the guy did in that dev clash as the Aztecs is he uh, colonized westward into Hawaii, into Midway, as a jumping off point to go to Japan. And then later formed the nation of Japan, you know, getting rid of the Aztec culture, become Japanese, but kept the old Aztec faith. This game has many possibilities, man. I, I know, it just seems very counter counterintuitive. I don't know what the right fancy word is. A strange juxtaposition of people who are, instead of defending just the homeland part of it, they say, yeah, let's go ahead and go on the offensive and spread the good world of whatever that damn Aztec god is. That's a caudal to the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, just one of the uh, ideas groups that you can pick. National ideas, not just for nation, but also you've got your own idea groups for administration, diplomacy, or military, for all the other little things. And when you mention going offensive, well, there is an offensive ideas group. Yeah, many idea groups, depending on your play style and what your nation should be. And also they added monuments, which once again, just like Imperator Roman Crusader Kings, now there's wonders. <laughs> what? They keep making all their games into the same game. And, uh, and every DLC or update, they always added unit models that's unique to one's nation. So now they added army sprites. Um, sprites as in unit models, it's a different term. For Southeast Asian nations, including Indo-Chinese, Indonesian, and Polynesian nations. And yes... They, the guys who live in the Polynesian Islands, even if you are in these tribal kingdoms of Hawaii, they got their own unit models. And and many more, such as ability to carpet siege enemy provinces, draft transports as a plutocratic nation, 
and watch heirs gain legitimacy as they wait to inherit the throne and other changes. And the free features, such as they rework more of the North American natives mechanics ever since their very first DLC, The Conquest of Paradise, and added more rework to the Southeast Asian and Australasian maps, and new nations, new cultures, and religions, and so on and so forth, as well as new idea groups for theocracies, step boards, and natives, and a huge naval rebalance and canal changes. And by the way, yes, you can construct the Suez Canal and a Panama Canal if you have like 30,000 ducats. That's what I saw one time when I saw the decision where it says form Panama Canal. Construct Panama Canal. There's a universal currency? Yeah, ducats. That's the name of the game's currency. So how do you have a trade empire when there's one currency? Uh, what do you mean? Well, it, like, the whole fucking reason trade works is that things are worth different. If everything's worth the same because there's one currency, how do you make any money? Um, besides controlling the trade nodes based on the trade power that you have in the... So there's no, current, there's no currency exchange, then? Oh, no. And not to mention the local trade goods of what is the main export. But just to add a little bit more value. Strange, of all the things they put, they would put a universal currency, which kind of undermines the whole point of having a trade route. Under, Whatever. Unless you're the kind of nation that encourages mercantilism, which is a thing in the game. Well, yeah, but again, it's it's all worth this. It's like, imagine if the U.S. dollar was used in the, over the entire world and nothing ever had to be converted. It's like, that would change the value of everything. Because the whole point of mercantilism is conversion. <sighs> world economics lesson. Yeah, it's almost like... Uh, it, as I said, does that game sounds a lot closer to Risk than with the other titles, too? Yes. No, what I'm saying is that the Euro is a stupid thing. Uh, let's finally get to the freaking problems. Yeah, the meat of the matter. Yes. So you told me, because again, I know nothing, that when they initially launched this DLC in October, you said? Uh, the DLC? No, it came out last month. You're thinking of Silk Roads. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yes. In... Last month, they, it didn't update well. What were the problems? Oh, uh, I think there's just far too many bugs um, that to the point where certain areas that's become unplayable. So I held it off on buying the DLC till two weeks later when they added two more updates. And just earlier this week, as of this recording, um, they added one more update. And most of the problems are fixed, and I have not encountered any bugs myself based on what I've heard, so I guess they fixed most of them. So this is why you haven't done any videos on it, because they're still updating it constantly? Yeah, just holding it off on that. And also haven't really decided what kind of playthrough of a nation that I would be playing as that would be good, since so many people play this game, since it's the most popular title. Yeah. yeah I know you enjoy playing really obscure nations and... Really obscure religions, so um, yes, for in choice. including um, the ones that formed later in the playthrough, such as um, Sikhism, where yes, you could play as a Sikh, um, or try to reform a Zoroastrianism, which is near impossible in that time period because there's only like two provinces. <laughs> Good, you've done that enough in the other one, yeah. And plus, there are no Jains, they're reduced to an estate, as we mentioned before. And the Buddhists are no longer in India. They live in Sri Lanka and Tibet. And sometimes Mongolia. Like they do now. Yeah. It ain't what it used to be, man. 
they and yet they call it the gunpowder age and by the time you get to 1700s age of enlightenment well in europe <laughs> yeah not so much for the rest of the world where it's freaking chaotic dark ages still for a good long time yeah until the europeans colonize it and establish um the east india trade companies that any western <laughs> european nations can do it, I mean, yes by doing currency exchange Yes, you can do that as either England, France, Portugal, Spain, Holland, whoever. Basically, any nation can have a, if you pick an idea group that's for exploration or colonization ideas where do you give you colonists, that's the, okay. That's how you can the, go. The EIC brings up a perfect point of what I was trying to get at earlier. So EIC goes to, uh, I'm, I'm, ma I'm making up shit for the point of this discussion, they go to then Manhattan. Yes. And they're like, okay, we want to take all this land from you natives. We're just going to buy it. And instead of, you know, what they did in real life several hundred years ago, which is give them shiny rocks, they said, okay, here's 2,000 ducats. And the natives are just going to say, okay, sure, we understand what this currency is. We'll accept it. And you can have all our land. They that doesn't make any sense. They actually added that in a recent update. Native policies that you can change. Okay. So where you can... Uh, either be oppressive or be trading with them or t live in uh, let live policy <laughs> yes okay that, that's what they allow it now in the game well that voiced that concern at least fine so basically it's whatever country you play as and whatever missions you do they are at you are at your own destiny um unless you're playing as a western european country where it's like well time to explore the world and forget about the eastern problems and i'm not going to take part in no crusade anymore yeah. Can't make any money in a crusade. There's no... I mean, war profiteering had, at that point had not been invented yet. Unless you choose that, as we mentioned, the, the feature they added to pillage your capital as a condition of peace. I know, but you can't play as like a merchant republic that manufactures swords and sell them to both Catholics and Muslims. No, you just gotta establish trade nodes and posts to basically have the strongest trade power in the world to the point where you become a great power and hold an economic hegemony. Hmm. And not just the region, but the world. Do you remember how last time we did this, we went on a weird literary tangent? Now we've got a weird economic tangent. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, again, the trade, the economics of the game is everywhere. <laughs> Much more than the other titles. Yeah, because the other titles are about winning through military strength. Yeah, and this is not just military strength, it's everything. Yeah. Can you send spies into your other nations and poison people too? Uh, you can send a diplomat to construct a spy network to a nation. It'll have much better results if you pick a certain nation, particularly your neighbor as your rival, um, to make it faster to have a spy network constructed. So you have enough points from the spy network to fabricate a claim, for a province for 15 years until you start that war to push the said claim or um, add instability you know like support potential separatist rebellions and whatnot like when we say separatist rebellions which is a thing in a game not just for cultural specific but also a nation that was formerly annexed and there's so, separatism for that too uh, Charlie Wilson's war style of warfare yes you can do that and mess with, again, economic-related things. And many, many things you can do, especially when you get down later in, in the late game. 
given how complicated this is, you've never done a video on EU4? I tried to before, you know, yep, uh, before they... Before the next DLC was starting to come up, I'm like, okay, we're going to have to scrap that and we'll start over from scratch when it comes out and wait a couple of updates until it's good enough. Hmm. You're going to, but you just haven't decided where to start. Yeah, I, I plan on it, but um, the only five nations that I came up with in my head that I would do a playthrough on, I mean, you want to know what the five are that are probably like most likely? If you likely? can name them without describing them, yes. Uh... First one, top of my head, is Holland. You know, form the, unite the lowlands, the Netherlands, and become the Dutch Republic, and be one of those latecomers in the colonial game. Uh, like I did the new Amsterdam thing? Well, let's try that again. <laughs> and next time, try not to exterminate all the natives in the province. I accidentally did it one time, where it's like, yeah, they were resistant of us, and then I accidentally clicked on this button to, uh, it's like, okay, the army's dealing with all the local population area, now it's reduced to zero. Shit. You accidentally genocided. Yes. Astonishing. So, yeah, that, again, not a problem. It's not the entire region, just a tiny area. Um, we're like, well, crap. That means we can't get any, some of that income of cooperation. That's before they added the native policies feature, where I have to pay more attention to that. The other is Lübeck, a German merchant republic as part of the Hanseatic League. Mm-hmm. So that one's more of a trade empire-focused thing, not a world empire like some of the other countries that would be focused on. Another one is, uh, on top of my head, is Muscovy, which is a grand principality of Muscovy, you know, to try to form the empire of Russia. And the missions, they tell you to go to Siberia and then go all the way to Alaska. True to history. You know, the good old days of the Russian Empire. Yeah, sure. You know, as far as culture and literature that we remembered so fondly. Well, what else? Um, the other one is Sirhind, which is a regional area in northern India, in the Punjab region, where it's ran by Afghans, and uh, this is led by a guy of the Lodi dynasty, which again, Afghan origin, who wants to take over the Delhi Sultanate, which is a a weakened rump state and and you fight to take over the Delhi Sultanate um, to claim yourself as the new um, Sultan but ran by a different dynasty obviously after we kick out the old one that that's weakened themselves and the missions for Delhi is basically reclaim the lost glory of the Delhi Sultanate which they nearly conquered the entire subcontinent and may possibly control the entire subcontinent and make you form the nation of Hindustan, which is an alternate name for India, as compared to the native name of India, which is Bharat. Uh, and we mentioned about the features of the Indian Sultanate, so yeah, I gotta appeal to those guys too, so that makes it a bit challenging. And to keep the Timurids at bay so they don't come to India and become the Mughal Empire, which those are the other guys that nearly conquered the entire subcontinent. And, and the last nation that I may potentially play as is... How many Japanese daimyos do you know of besides the Tokugawa and the Odas? Well, I played three Samurai Warrior games, so I'll just start naming stuff from that. Can you play as Nobunaga and fulfill his ambition? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you ever heard of the Uesuge? Um, it's, it's spelled U-E-S-U-G-I. Do you know how to pronounce that? 
in Japanese? Yusagi. Yeah, Yusagi. That's another one that I'm... One of the Japanese time rails I would like to play is because this is one of the very few larger ones of the Japanese um, archipelago. How do you pronounce that chain of islands? Archipelago. Yeah, right. Yeah, the archipelago. Um, because many of them are just one minor provinces. Not necessarily city-states, but they're just all one provinces. Lots of them, including the Tokugawa. Anyway, Suga is one of the uh, larger ones, which they hold three provinces, so it makes it easier. Eh, and yeah, and finally, um, of course, the main mission is unite Japan, and they, one of the mission lines it carries, conquer Formosa, Manchuria, and even go explore to the New World, like colonize California for the Empire of Japan. And so I was trying to say is like every one of these things you've mentioned basically just had nonstop civil war forever. So your idea is to, in the playthrough, is to stop the civil wars and spread outwards. Yeah, it encourages nation building and uniting the regional nations and and whatnot. Because if you if, if you want to just conquer Japan, just go play one of the Samurai Warrior games because that's all you do there. You pick a clan and then it's like, all right, we're going to kill all of these other guys and we're going to take over Japan. It's the same as the Dynasty Warriors, except it's much earlier in history. Uh-huh. Until uh, it... Uh, and of course, if you overexpand um, in, in the game, EU4, um, if you expand too much, nations will form coalitions against you. Um, and if one of the nations that is a member of the coalition declares war, everybody will join in and dogpile on you. Unless you have the gumption and the manpower to take them on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure it'll be no different in Japan. Who's going to stop this um, lord's ambition? To one day you may challenge the emperor. Yeah, that's the point of the games. Uh, that's like 40 minutes on that. So let's have a violent pivot to yeah. something else. <laughs> so, yeah, for again, from 1444 through 1821, um, even though a decade before, you know, the end date of EU4, I mean, obviously, age of enlightenment and into the age of revolutions. Starting with, you know, revolutionary France, most notably. And there was this, um, there was this game that I discovered recently. And it, it was a bit of a story behind it, too. Okay, is this the dream thing? Yeah, just one of them. Okay. I, I had a dream. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you ahead of time, if this is really stupid, I'm going to cut it. And this sentence, me telling you that it's stupid, okay? Yeah. Go ahead. So, I had a dream um, on on a particular day, um, around March. Don't remember what day, but um, for some reason I was dreaming about <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2. And I know this has nothing to do with what the hell we're talking about here, but for some reason it led me to it. Where I was just doing my thing, I was in Blackwater, and then uh, some chilly shit happens. Uh, and then, for some reason... Uh, some guy threatened me with a pump action shotgun and I shot him in the leg and as of course the person ragdolls and then he shot himself setting off his shotgun to shoot his own leg and there he lost it. And then I picked up the old pump action shotgun and and then I used it and it gave me a huge recoil sending me up about a good 10-20 feet up the sky before I shoot it again and shoot me any higher. It's like shooting, you know, noisy cricket, that little pistol from Men in Black movie. Okay. Yeah, I woke up laughing. What does this have to do with the video game? And later that morning, I went to Facebook, and then I saw this one of sponsored videos on the Facebook feed of a game that we're going to talk about here, which is called 
hold fast nations at war where this video um, had a guy who was it's one of those massive multiplayer online shooter games of sorts um where a guy is talking shit to the enemy team and yes they can hear you too but he was yelling uh, a guy is scottish so it's your typical angry brave scotsman type he's like come at ya, you fuckers while they're shooting musket balls at him until they eventually finally got him with a cavalry charge that's how i discovered hold fascinations at war got me excited yeah, that, that dream had nothing to do with the story yeah um so i watched many 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 youtube videos before it convinced me it's like okay i'll put that game on a wish list and what era does this take place because you said muskets yeah, it's the Napoleonic Wars era. So, you know, eighteen uh, early 1800s, 1810s. Mm-hmm. So how, how much extent do you know about the history of the Napoleonic Wars? I tend to gloss over those. In terms of what actually happened, I know the basics, but Napoleonic Wars to me means something else than it does to you. Because to you, it means the history of warfare. To me, it means the history of role-playing games. Because... Before Dungeons and Dragons existed, there were miniature war games, and those were called Napoleonic war games because those were played in the style of his actual battles. I think he even came up with some strategies himself that he used. You have little fucking miniatures, and you put them on a big map, and it's like it's Risk, right? Yeah. I go, I go here, and you go here, and then you go here, and I reinforce his unit, et cetera, et cetera, and that evolved into at the I don't I can't, I can't for the life of me remember what it was actually called back then, but it became Dungeons and Dragons from there. But, not, but necessarily, then, not necessarily oh, Stratego, right? Uh, Stratego is just a little board game with stupid little pieces. Uh, no, the, the strategy of reinforcing units was created before the game Risk. And it basically evolved into Dungeons & Dragons in the 70s. So when you're like Napoleonic Warfare, I was like, oh yeah, I know about Napoleonic Warfare. Oh, the real thing? No, I don't know. Nothing. Now, hold fast nations at war. Despite the name of the game, it sounds like a strategy game, but it's not. Nor it's a Napoleonic War board game or whatever you're trying to describe. <laughs> As I've mentioned, it's a massively online multiplayer. Um, about 150 players max in a server, in a match. So it sounds chaotic enough. I don't remember because it's been a long time since we've been doing this shit. Have you, did you ever talk about, on this show, those, old, those other shooters you used to play? Yeah, that Project I can't remember Reality. the name of. Yeah, Project Reality and all that other shit. That Forgotten Hope. Yeah. This is like that. Yes, but set in that time period. But they accept faster-paced action, and uh, coordination tends to vary. In terms of people don't talk and just shoot. Oh no! Play like, play like Battlefield. Oh no! A lot of people talk. Well, uh, let me put it at this, as one guy uh, put it. Uh, so eloquently it's one of those games where it's like it's like a massive online multiplayer shooter sent in napoleonic wars great but the community has other ideas let's just say the game has become a meme i've never heard of this game so and i'm an expert in memes so i'll take your word for it you know i don't know how much you know about your history memes i know plenty of real history memes i don't know history memes from a video game i've never heard of it's more of a silly, stereotypical nonsense, stereotypical nonsense. Well, like, which, you know, like how a, a typical Frenchman would act or an Englishman uh, would act. Okay. 
Yeah, um, even though most players are Americans, some of them are from Europe. Again, it's played by players around the world. So there's no limitations. Even though they do have their North American servers, European servers, and the game is even popular in um, China. There's Chinese servers. So, as with everything, compare this to Battlefield and Call of Duty. Like, what are the objectives, the game modes? Sure. Yeah. The only game mode I've played was um, Army Battlefield, where it's kind of like Rush in a way, if you can uh, picture it in Battlefield sense. Mm -hmm. um, where you got this uh, attackers with a limited amount of tickets, and you got to go take all these objectives to win. And if you don't take them all, you lose. Yeah. That's one of the game modes. Um, there's also... Um, this other um, game mode that I've seen in YouTube videos early, but I haven't played it myself, um, where you you got two armies ready to duke it out on the battlefield, but there's no objectives to take. It's basically, you know, last standing. So because it's in the era it's in, everybody stands in a line, fires in volleys, and then you stand waiting to get blown up by a cannon, right? Um, most of the time, depends on coordination. Most of them would just fire at will, unless there's an officer present that can... Uh, especially if it's a player officer that can tell everybody to like make ready, present, fire, and fake Spain at all these orders. Um, and 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 mind you, you're using smoothbore muskets, muskets where you just basically point and shoot. There's almost no accuracy to it. Um, uh, if it's more than 50 yards. Um, so it's encouraged to if you're going to shoot somebody over 50 yards, just aim slightly above your heads, and you may get somebody. And if you miss, well, then I'm sure somebody else in the team get it. And that's not... There's, there's a good reason. Most shooters are from World War I forwards. Yeah. Because guns before that time sucked. Yes. Uh, reloading takes about 20 seconds. So it's the Cripes. old three rounds per minute is true to life. Um, and yes, you can move slightly without reloading if you don't want to get your ass shot unless they tell you it's like, hey, stay in line. And I'm like, oh man, you know, come on, finish reloading before one of these guys is going to get me eventually. <laughs> Especially at one time I was in line where I was reloading. Uh, like, guy to my left just got shot and killed. And I'm like, that could have been me. And then guy to my right got killed. I'm like, that could have been me too. Before I finally reloaded my musket, fired and got somebody. And I'm like, if it ain't me, then someone else. Cripes. I can't think of too many... Like modern shooters, when I say modern, I don't mean in the modern day. I mean made in the modern day. Modern shooters that are that take place before World War One, because they're terrible guns. Like I think there was a really shitty PS3 game called like Darkest of Days or something, where you were a time traveler and you brought back modern weapons to the Civil War or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, it reminds me of a book uh, by Harry Turtledove, Guns of the South. I never read it. I heard of it. I know, but that's in theory and concept to read to play. It's going to be misery because those old guns are awful. There's, as you said, there's no accuracy, so paying like TDM with muskets is like, what are you even doing here? Yeah, but that's a feeling of you to person. But when it's a whole group of them, well, it's basically a giant it's shotgun. A, it's a hundred. It's a hundred people missing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like you're standing on rows. It's like okay, first row's got to crouch down so the guys behind you on the second row yeah. can shoot while standing. Sounds like coordination. How, this is how it was before, I don't know who the hell figured it out. I'm going to guess the Americans during the Revolutionary War. Hey, let's not all stand in a line like jackasses and move around. How about that? What if we carry more than one gun? Wouldn't that be revolutionary? Um, And that's not, I mean, 
a line infantry isn't the only class that you play in hold fast. There's different occupations. You can be a Can surgeon. a cannoneer, because it's the only other kind. Yeah, you can use cannons, you can use cavalry. Um, and by the way, different cannon loads, not just the old cannonball, which doesn't explode impact, but just roll all along, which right. is meant to devastate an uh, infantry line. I know, I saw the Patriot. Yeah, scary as shit if you see one coming at you. <laughs> um, and if you and if you are charging towards a cannon, not recommended because they'll fire grape shot. Ah. Uh, I, I interrupted when you said surgeon. You can play as a field doctor. Yes, you can. Uh, like if a guy is actually wounded. I mean, not all musket shots are one-shot kills. It depends on where you hit them. But if you wound a guy, I mean, you can still get up and fight. It doesn't de disable you or anything. You could still shoot, and if there is a medic, so to speak, present, he can heal you up. Oh, that's by cut by cutting off your leg, as is the prescribed method of the day. Yeah, and plus they're recognizable because they don't wear blue coats or red coats or green coats. Um, it's just guy in a shirt and a hat. Sometimes with a bowler hat. Depends on where the guy's from. And why aren't people just shooting this guy as if they were in a more modern setting? Well, the medic is armed with only a flintlock pistol, so it's self-defense, as with the officers. Um, and yes, you can play musical instruments. There is a class for musicians. I was going to say, the other question I was going to ask is you play the drum line, yes. Yes, you can play as the drummer, the flute player, and if you are Briton, you can play a guy who plays bagpipes, you know, if you're a true Scotsman of that time. And again, why aren't you immediately shot the second you step on the battlefield? I cannot believe this is a real thing that used to happen yeah. in real world yeah. history. When you play music, um, and if a and if a teammate of yours gets a kill while you're playing music, you get assist points. It's like increasing morale. <laughs> okay, now in real life, what was the point of this? In the 1600s and 1700s, when they were doing this dumb shit on real battlefields, what was the point of the guy playing the drum and the kid playing the flute? Or, or... Which, again, that practice has been going on for thousands of years. Um, Fine, but they didn't make movies about it back then. Yeah, uh, again, it's meant to, you know, get the morale up of the armies. Like, it, it makes one get that fighting spirit up. Uh, oh, he sure it, is playing Yankee Doodle really well. Uh, this will inspire me to load my gun faster. Or Rule Britannia, or do you know any other French, Prussian, or Russian songs of the day? No, I'm fucking American, who was born in the 21st century. And uh, they also have, uh, we mentioned about the other game mode, where it's like last team standing, like how many lives are standing, right? Survivors. Mm -hmm. sure. um, where they have this server where, yes, you can just shoot at a limited amount of time before the admin says, all right, stop shooting. It's melee time. And all the armies charge in in melee combat with bayonets on their muskets. Or if optional, use your fists. So it just becomes a big brawl. Yeah, unless you've got a sword or saber. Uh, well, I'll tell you, this certainly sounds more entertaining than Crusader Kings or EU4 or any of that. Yeah, it's because, well, you're a soldier or one of the linemen of the infantry, unless you're in some other role where you'd be a medic or a musician and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not, I'm not saying I would play it. I don't think I'm ever going to play another skill-based online shooter. Maybe a, uh, what's the skill, not skill-based, class-based. Yeah, class-based. Class There's no one. skills in shooting a musket. It's just luck. You know, you, know, not, you know what I mean, man. It's like, 
it is skill-based. You'd be like, ah, oh, the guns are shit. But it is skill-based because there isn't a class. There are only two kinds. There's class-based and skill-based. There's no classes, therefore it must be skill. Anyways, I'd rather play a class-based, like Battlefield or, you know, Future Overwatch or some damn thing. Ah, that's what you mean. Uh, yeah, as opposed to just me and my gun and, you know, good aim and good ping. Especially PC. I ain't never playing no PC online game. Yeah, because that requires a lot of good internet and a good computer. Neither of which I have, unfortunately. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it almost sounds like it. It's like not only you don't want to, not only you would avoid playing that game, but also the unbridled chaos of it. I do enjoy a degree of chaos, but it has to be like the fun has to override the chaos. Because you can have a lot of shit going on and it not be fun, and that's no fun. Uh, and like, like your typical and, and players like typical yelling out like. orders or talking shit to the enemy, and the enemy talks shit at you. Eh, that, that I don't mind so much since I've usually in a party I'm playing with those other two dudes. Yeah, you can meet the certain players or just meet the whole damn thing. <laughs> that's what I did because I'm uh, not ready make... to be chatting with with the are others. Are you gonna yet. make any? Which is my next question. Are you gonna make any videos on this or? It's just for fun. I uh, thought about it, but I, th I think it's probably going to be a long time before I even think about making those kind of videos. Which, by the way, the average match for Hold Fast is about 15 minutes, from my experience. So they're quick. So they're quicker than Battlefields, for fucking sure. Oh yeah, um, quicker than a one-sided conquest match of Battlefield. Um, and uh, the other game modes you mentioned, there's this rush-like setting. Yes, they have Conquest 2 and Hold Fast. They also have uh, uh, Naval Combat 2. They do ship-to-ship -ship action. Where, um... It's like, yeah, we mentioned EU4 a bit. And yes, they have Naval Combat 2, which is big fleet versus big fleet. And whoever controls the seas first. But here, it's mostly one-on-one -on -one in Hold Fast. Where a crew of players, like, one's got to drive this ship. Uh, and he, many others has got to man the cannons. Uh, so, so it's Sea of Thieves. I've heard about Sea of Thieves many times, but is it kind of like that? In the terms of combat, yeah, everyone has to do individual jobs like loading cannons and turning anchors and all that boring shit. Uh, yeah, there's two cla two classes or three or whoever. Like we know the officer, the captain of the ship, got to run things, and uh, and the guys who's got to man the cannons, the crewmen. And the Marines, the guys with muskets who are meant for boarding actions, in case if they wish to do that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so yeah, that's the other game mode. That is basically sink the other ship. Um, even though uh, it, it's not just one and done, you just got to do a few more times. It's kind of like rounds. Um, and uh, and those cannons, uh, it's not just the regular old cannonballs that they shoot, but uh, they also have the two cannonballs with a, a chain wrapped, uh, not chain, but chain together, which is meant to take out their sails. <laughs> I played this Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, I know. Yeah, it's just, just like that, uh, except, you know, one could do a lot of things. And yes, they can have a musician on board. The only instrument that they play on a ship is a violin. You think would be an accordion or whatever that accordion variant is? I haven't seen them, <laughs> unless it's in a a pirate game called. Uh, I mean, not Sea of Thieves. There's another one I saw, uh, which I just only mentioned by name, but I don't want to add too much about it. Which is basically what it is, Black Wake. That's what it's called. 
Never heard of it. Next. <laughs> and the uh, other game mode is Fortress Siege, which is a combination of, you know, sea and land, where the guys who are out at sea is going to attack this coastal fortress that's manned by an army. <laughs> it's basically conquest, but conquer this area. Amphibious assault, basically, where it's not just the big ships that's going to do the bombarding, but also you've got to get these rowboats off these big ships and it's like all right marines get on board and then you gotta let's, row let's invade normandy yeah amphibious assault uh, with just rowboat and cannons and a bunch of muskets missing at you yeah imagine that again I, it's closer to what i would play i don't as opposed to strategy games but i don't know that i would yeah it just depends on coordination or lack thereof depends on what kind of group you're with which they have their own i mean instead of clans they have regiments you could join a regiment and you'd be taking part of their potential organized events for more teamwork and coordination. You know, function like the actual armies of the day. The whole officer gives orders, make grain, you know, stand, fire, stand on. What happens if you say, fuck you, officer, I don't want to do that? What can they do to you? I, I don't think they mind un un unless you get too far away from it. Uh, unless you're one of the comedic types. I mean, most of the people are of a comedic type, based on what I've encountered. And I, and I mentioned about how enemies can hear you on chat. I mean, I mentioned I had them on me. Actually, there was one time where I was hiding in an attic in some house, uh, and uh, the enemies overrun the area, and the friendlies have retreated, uh, and they were on searching until they found me I'm like wait no no I surrender can we talk about this don't you mean and all that sort of thing and they'll be like talk about what you're the enemy <laughs> I'm like I'm enemy of what <laughs> that sort of thing like there's conversations like that just say the whole thing was a misunderstanding just say I renounce my religion I convert to whatever you guys are USA number one there was a joke in a British team uh, where a bunch of players are Americans and then one guy says why do we have so many colonials in our army? Uh, unless you're the French, where they do this stereotypical, you know, bad French accent. Ha -ha. Or, or if you are the Prussian team, where everybody talks in German. But these are just Westerners faking accents for yucks? Yes. Okay. The well, vast majority of the players are like that. Yeah. But, they, but they do it in... Good taste. Um, they're they're most they're good people in the community. They're a dedicated community. I said, don't don't worry about offending me. I don't give a shit. Yeah, that, um, that's their normal attitude. And uh, we mentioned English, French, Prussian factions. There's two more factions that was added in recent. Oh, uh, they also had a Russian faction, and the most recent faction they added two weeks ago was the Italians. Yes, the Italians took part in the Napoleonic Wars. They were on the side with the French in the Napoleonic Kingdom of Italy. That's, that's not one of my areas of expertise in terms of warfare. I'm much more into the future warfare stuff. Yeah, talking about early 19th century warfare. It, it, you know what it is? It's my, I keep saying expertise. What I mean is care about. It's like ancient warfare starting at like post-medieval era and modern warfare starting at like World War One. In between, there's this gigantic gap of shit I just don't care about. Because, like, Revolutionary War tactics aren't interesting because it's guerrilla fighting. You know, Napoleonic War tactics really aren't all that interesting because it's guys standing in a line. 
So, you know, when you come to more modern weapons, it's like, okay, this is interesting. Or, you know, in literal ancient history, which we only have snippets of, so we have to make extrapolations of, you know, guys actually may or may not have done this sort of stuff. Because I think, in a, this is a very weird thing I'm about to say, innovation lies when you don't have technology. Where it's like, the fucking, fucking Hannibal. He's like, okay, I gotta go up these mountains. Instead of going around the mountains, which is a smart idea, I'm gonna get a bunch of shit fucking elephants and climb over these mountains like it's Skyrim. <laughs> and it's a terrible idea. But in a more modern era, we can look back and go, of course that was a terrible idea. What a fucking idiot. But and then it's innovative because nobody had ever done it before. So how do we know it doesn't work? Yeah, it's almost like this was... Okay, from then on and all the way to World War One. there's almost like... Um, no room for failure when it comes to innovations. Yeah, or more willingness to try. Because, again, it's like World War One was the first modern quote-unquote war because it's like, okay, we're just going to bombard you with shells for 24 hours straight. And do the and old tried-and-true Napoleonic tactics a century before until machine guns became a commonplace. Yeah, and then everybody's just hungered down in bunkers forever. And then warfare today is, okay, well, instead of sending... People, I'm gonna send a robot that bombs the entire city, and I don't have to worry about it. So, because going know. house to house is. Uh... I know, but now let's take it from a video game perspective. In a video, you can make a video game about basically any era of war, except modern war, because it is no, it is one thing to play Call of Duty for modern warfare, and send the plane that shoots guys. It's like, oh, it's a plane, you know, he got a kill streak of seven, fucking helicopter, whatever. It's another thing entirely. No game has done this, to my knowledge, of. Instead of you playing a soldier, you play a drone pilot. It's like, how is that in any way interesting? It's like, ah, warfare is bad. Yeah, 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 I get it. All men are brothers. All, yeah, I got it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, you bleeding heart. I understand. Video games. It's not fun to play a drone pilot. It's fun to play a soldier. Or a, a drummer or whatever musician. Well, I don't know about that. You can put on an iPod shuffle list. Put a fucking Spotify, your favorite damn podcast. Like, the internet's worse. As I said before, this, uh, again, just discovered a game by chance. Which is a rarity that I would discover something by chance and get really into it. Well, that's, those often make for the most fun. Yeah, uh, although there were two other games out there that is quite similar to Hold Fast Nations of War. There was another called Prime and Load, which is basically that game, but set in the American Revolutionary War. So, same thing. Everybody's standing in a line like jackasses, playing drums. Yes, um, the only difference is blue coats versus red coats. And the uh, triple-pointed hats. Yeah, again, I saw The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Yes, I understand. So, yeah, it's just basically rinse and repeat. A different setting. But the game isn't as updated as much as Holdfast, as it's been around for about a year or so. <laughs> And, uh, and and the most recent thing that they added in the Prime and Load was the Commander thing, which is basically officer class, you know, tell you to do this and that, as I already described to you before. And the other game, which was the most recent one ever made, and, and saw it on a video recommended on YouTube, which is from a game called War of Rights, which is like Holdfast, but set in the American Civil War, and which that one had... We mentioned about muskets, but this is the era of the rifled muskets, where you aim and actually hit somebody. That'd be fine, but it's one th like okay, here we're gonna we're gonna do this again. 
in World War One, there weren't any really quote unquote bad guys, right? There was a lot of nations fighting for their own independence of from other nations, and when they moved into allied spaces, you know, the allies of the nation said, "Okay, hold on now, you can't come into that's our friend's place. You can't just come here and wreck up all our shit. We're gonna come wreck up your shit." And that's and, we'll and that's why coalitions are formed. It's to stop you from wrecking their shit. Yeah. But in World War II, it's like, well, the Nazis are very obviously bad people. In the American Revolution, from on our side, we've kind of got this idea that the Americans are the good guys because we came out on top for the most part. And we have this I nebulous idea that the British are bad. But, you know, 100 years later, they help us fight Nazis, so fucking whatever. Yeah, because they got their own issues. They got their hands full with the French. Yeah. So when you say, oh, you play a game in the Civil War, I'm like, uh, do you really want to play as the South in the Civil War video game? Yeah, but based on the playthrough that I've seen from one of the guys, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't even remember the name or even how to pronounce it. He's American, but his username's a bit out there. Um, Anyways. So it was a little video called, you know, the most coordinated, you know, battle that ever done. Let's just say everybody... Um, did not role play as if you were a your average Civil War reenactor if you're either Union or Confederacy. Um, mm -hmm. You get your equipment or whatnot. And I'm sure the vast majority of the players were formerly Civil War reenactors who had to sit through here because of pandemic where they can't go out and reenact. <laughs> okay, sure. That's just my t guess on top of my head. That's fine. Um, so everybody stayed classy on, uh, on the context of the time period. Um, uh, as we said, it's like, yes, you're all using rifled muskets, which they're accurate and not inaccurate like the old smoothbores of the Napoleonic days. But we're still using Napoleonic tactics, so that's even deadlier. Yeah, that's why the Civil War was so fucking bloody, because everyone just stood in a line like jackasses, didn't learn anything over a hundred years. Yeah, whereas, you know, a single individual in some good distance or hiding somewhere can actually pick off somebody just fine. You would have no problem. Well, well, it was the actual invention of guerrilla warfare, unlike, I'm going to reference for the fourth time, unlike the Patriots starring Mel Gibson. Yeah, because, you know, the old Kentucky or Pennsylvania long rifles instead of muskets. So, and, but you, and, you, can see, you can see what I'm saying. What I'm trying to get at is you're playing as the South during the Civil War. You can understand why that might have bad optics. Oh, uh, are you talking about the uniform differences? Do I have to come out and say it, Thomas? What is it? You're playing as the South, who's like, no, we want to keep our way of living, including slaves. But in a video game. Yeah, in a video game, well, it's just basically two factions going at it. Um, and it's set during the Antietam campaign, you know, Maryland. Okay, further north. Where, where the South, you know, wanted two times that they invaded the, the North that way. Um and, and uh, Antietam is, I believe it's one of the bloodiest battles that's ever taken place on American soil. Yeah, again, because the tactics are stupid as fuck. Yeah, the, the, as we said, it's about weapons and tactics of the time period, and nobody's changed. It's fossilized, considered by scholars, of the way they waged war. And, and I'm sure all the classes are the same. Lion infantry, musicians, and I'm sure there's maybe a medic or an officer out there too. It's just the video I saw was just, it was very well coordinated. And bayonet charge whoever's in the way, even though the guy's trying to reload. And of course, the Antietam campaign took place in 1870, no, 1862. 
um, which is around that time that the first, you know, practical repeating rifles were being invented, but not yet sent to the front lines in on a limited scale, which occurred a year later. So, yeah. Rifle muskets so you, still in wide use. So I'm saying this is just like army versus army, so you can't, like, do civil war battles. It's just PvP. Yeah, it's basically army versus army. It's massively online again. <laughs> With the... I'm sure they have similar game modes too. Conquest or Rush or whatever. <laughs> and also, and finally, I'm sure, uh, like we talk about differences, uniforms, whatever coats. I'm sure it's not that hard to tell. Like, you know what the Union uniform looked like? That they're dark blue and the Confederates. Um, only the officers wear gray, contrary to popular belief. Most of the average soldiers don't often have gray. They're just mostly civilian clothes. Yes, again, I know. I saw Glory starring Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington. Yes. That's the other thing. It's like, I wouldn't play these games, but I'd probably watch a movie about it. Well, maybe not now. I used to would have watched movies about it because they were three hours long, and now I don't have patience for that anymore. Speaking of me out of patience, is that it? Yes, and the next time if I ever find myself in a battlefield, whether if it's in American Revolution or Civil War or Napoleonic Wars, I would just be... Introducing myself as Lord Master, and I damn all gentlemen. I probably wouldn't go by that name if you're playing as the South, just FYI. What, the whole gentleman thing? Master, God's sake, oh. how many times do I got to say this? Oh, damn it, didn't realize it. What's that from, by the way? Is Buckminster Fuller Ring? What, what uh, is that? That quote that I just said? Yeah. Um, that was from a book called The Killer Angels. Buster Kilrain said that. The only fictional <laughs> character that was set during the Civil War. The Battle of Gettysburg. That's right. Okay. That's why I know that. I thought that quote sounded cool. <laughs> Name's Buster Kilrain, and I damn all gentlemen. Uh, I, I've got nothing. <laughs> uh, I was going to talk about other stuff, but this went on so much longer than I anticipated. I don't want to double stuff it. So it was just a lot of war in this episode. Yeah, a lot of war, colonizations, traveling from a faraway place. Yes. It's, it's, the, it's the entire world history without any of the art or culture crap that clogs it up. Not even theology talk. Yeah, for once, thankfully. These fucking games don't allow you to impose your religion. No, those days uh, are over. Uh... What do you have coming up on your channel soon to wrap this? Well, the ongoing Crusader Kings 2 series with the Gupta still, the Gupta Dynasty of Northern India. Um, that's still an ongoing series. Also, um, plan on doing a, a likely a two-parter because of the length of the game. Another playthrough of the updated version of Silk Road's Caravan Kings. As well as a two-parter of the Organ Trail, the zombie apocalypse of the Organ Trail. So I'll be back on the trail again. Well, one trail that takes you from Venice to China, and the other trail from post-apocalyptic America, from Washington, D.C. to safe haven somewhere in Oregon. From silly joke game, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the traditional Oregon trail next month, because every three months. Hmm. Well, uh, we look forward to that. Thank you very much, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put the YouTube link in the description. You can find him there. Uh, you find me on Twitter at Loki Jarrison and basically everywhere else on the internet 
If you see the name Lucky Jarson, it's probably me because I'm creative like that. Uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye.